Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 16 through 24. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise the words of the prophets, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, choir. Thank you, kids' choirs and everybody. I love this time of year. Now, um, next week, raise your hand if you have something that would qualify as Christmas plaid. It's really important. Do you have anything that will qualify as Christmas plaid? Let me see. Anybody? Okay. Only four of us. Okay. Thank you, sir. Okay. Because next week is going to be a Christmas edition of Bluegrass Sunday. So I need you to try to find your, your Christmas plaid as you, if you can. That is always a crowd favorite. We are in the season of Advent, and this is the third Sunday of the season of Advent. Uh, uh, traditionally known as Gaudette. Sunday, G-A-U-D-E-T-T-E, which actually means joy. In other words, though Advent has been, the last couple of weeks, about expectation and heavy emphasis on the fact that we are living between the times and we are to be living in a certain posture of expectation. So we've talked over the last couple of weeks about the final coming of Christ. Today, we will do a little bit more celebrating of the gift that is Jesus Christ. In fact, over the next several Sundays, next Sunday and also the two Sundays this year, the two Sundays in the Christmas season, we will celebrate a lot and we will celebrate with music and we will celebrate out loud and next Sunday certainly will be no exception. It has been a good week here at OKC First. I don't know how many of you were here on Tuesday night to participate in that. Well, let me just ask that question. How many, if, stand up if you were here to help in any way on Monday night setup or Tuesday night pulling off the Christmas blessing or if you helped clean up at all. Stand up if you were any of those people. Ready to go. Stand up all across. Thank you guys. It's, let's give them a hand. That's a, that's a big <laughs> undertaking. We helped 50 families. And then Stephanie Conway, and several of you are helping Stephanie Conway as we've done our giving tree sort of thing. We are helping another 30 to 40 families with the giving tree thing. So 90, somewhere around 90 families we have helped. Now, Tuesday night was a lot of fun, and I had one job. It was to be hospitable. I like that. So Tuesday night, we served this meal. And by the way, the food was really good, Mark Moody. I mean, turkey and dressing and all of that stuff, really good. And so we had tables set up in the green room. 
And so I was in the green room. Kristen Mason and I were in the, in the green room, sitting down, eating with people, and also saying hello, welcome, making sure that they all felt welcome and at home. And I heard this a lot. I heard this a lot. And I was wearing a, a name tag that said Pastor John, okay? I heard this a lot. We're actually looking for a church. We're actually, we're actually looking for a church. What time are services on Sunday? I said, okay, well, <clears throat> the services are at 10.30, and you'll love it. The, the preaching is ugh, and a little long-winded, but you just come. You'll, you'll enjoy the people. That line always gets them because they see that it's Pastor John there. They love that, right? Here's the thing. Do you know it's hard to go to church when you don't go to church? <laughs> Do you know that it's hard it's not all our fault, right? Sometimes it's hard to go into any room full of people that you don't already know. That's, that can be difficult. Now, maybe not an arena where there's 18 to 20,000 people or a stadium where there's 85,000 people, but this is really not that many people in the whole scheme of things. And so people recognize that you're not just attending church. I think for the most part, people recognize that when you come to church, you're gonna be bouncing off of a bunch of people, which makes it really hard to come in and throw yourself into a room when you haven't already done it. In fact, Jason and I have talked off and on about the need for a handbook how to go to church at OKC first. <laughs> because I think we assume too much. I, I think we assume too much, and I think without our meaning to, sometimes we can be the reasons people don't come or don't come back to church. I don't, I don't mean that to hurt anybody's feelings. If anybody, it should hurt my feelings, right? Come on, John, get this together. I, but I think that's true sometimes. I, I, think, I think that perhaps we are not as careful as we should be with the folks who aren't here, if that makes any sense at all. Sometimes we're not as attentive or sensitive to the folks who aren't here or aren't yet here as we should be. Sometimes, without our intending to, we have an insider-outsider thing going. And again, that's probably not unique just to church people, right? You can probably have that in, uh, in a school setting. You can have it in a neighborhood setting, the whole insider-outsider thing. But the church, the church is such that our calling is to be a part of the process whereby God restores creation, human lives and all. Do you believe that? Uh, hear this again. I think sometimes, and maybe especially during a time of the year, and I love the preschool choir, I love the elementary school choir, I love the sanctuary choir. I love the Christmas music. I love the Christmas lights. I, I, like, I, I like and love all of this. This is one of my favorite times of the year for us. But during this time of the year, I think it is especially easy to forget that we have a calling. And to say it in perhaps a little bit more of a crass sort of way, 
Let's not let all of this cause us to forget that we have a job to do. Our job is to partner with God in the rescue of humanity. And sometimes, 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 sometimes we can get so caught up in the stuff that we like and the stuff that we want and the stuff that we will at least quietly demand that we can be found out, (laughs) that we will have forgotten what it means to be the unique and odd people of God. You've heard this before here. Christianity is a very odd way to be alive. It really is. It's an odd way to be alive. And if that's true, then imagine how odd we are when we congregate as a bunch of people who have chosen to be odd in the way that we have chosen to be alive. So we are a very strange bunch of people, and my best prayer for us is that we'll get stranger by the day. Now, strange why? Because of our hair? Because of our beards? Because of our clothes? Nope, nope, nope. But strange because we are not a reflection of the voices of the dominant culture, but we're a reflection of the God of all creation, and that in and of itself will cause us to stand out and be distinct and peculiar in the best sorts of ways where the dominant culture is concerned. I don't want your kids to be normal. I don't want their parents to be normal. God, save us from being normal and indistinguishable. Indistinguishable where the rest of the culture is concerned because you know that happens, right? Sometimes churches are graded and given good grades because they, within the sanctuary, sometimes the church is really good at parroting back to the culture the message of the culture. So maybe we do need some signs around to to remind us that we are different, intentionally different, odd, intentionally odd, so that we can continue to be the people with a calling, the people of a higher purpose, the people of God. I know I've got a lot of teachers in the room, and and teachers are particularly good at decorating their rooms at the beginning of the year, amen, okay? And a lot of them will come up with rules, right? Classroom rules. No hitting, no kicking, no pushing. This is from the religion department at SNU, none of this. No hitting, no kissing, kicking, no pushing. Here's some more class rules. Be prompt, be prepared, be positive, productive and polite. It always is better when they all alliterate, right? It's just easier to remember. It's always good. And sometimes they're just really, really uh, artistically spoken. Be ready to learn, say please and thank you, all of this kind of stuff. The verses that you have before you today are pretty close to this kind of mindset. The verses that you have before you today happen to be the oldest stuff in all of the New Testament. The oldest stuff. Now think about that for a moment. Older than the Gospels. This is the oldest piece of literature. You could say it like this. 
This is the oldest written representation of the gospel. How cool is that? This stuff is so old, the people in the pews, let's say, the people in the church, were still trying to figure out what it meant to be the church. Okay, so we attend this little church here in Thessalonica, but what does that mean and how are we different because we belong to this group of people? Well, Paul, who loves this bunch of people, Paul, Paul loves this bunch of people so deeply that if you read throughout this entire letter of 1 Thessalonians, 14 times he will refer to them using affectionate familial terms, my people, my family, brothers, sisters. He loves these people. Oh, Yes, please do not burn down the piano. (laughs) He loves these people. Now, he's separated from these people, but even in the letter, he says, man, I can't wait to get back to see you. I can't wait to get back to see you. Until I get back, church that I have planted, until I get back, there's some classroom rules. It's not quite a great way to say that. There are some things I want you to remember because... As you do these things, you will continue to be the people of God. As you do these things, you will continue to be the people of God. Now, they all thought that Christ was coming back anytime. Anytime. But Paul was saying, we can't be sure when Christ is coming back. So make sure that you are living in the right kinds of ways and being the right kinds of people to prepare for the final coming of Christ. And here's what it looks like to live as the right kinds of people preparing for the final coming of Christ. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now some of us, some of us will look at these verses and say, I hate it when Christianity paints a smiley face on a really terrible situation. I mean, how can you thank God for cancer? Great point. How can you thank God when you look on the TV screen and see all that's going on out there? In our nation and around the world, how can you thank God when money is this tight, when I've lost my job, when my kids are straying, when my parents are straying? How can you thank God That's not exactly what's going on here. Here's what's going on here. And you've heard me say this a lot, (laughs) that we need to look at ourselves and look at Jesus and confess the difference. Let me tune that a little bit today. Let's look at what Paul suggests should be the mindset of the people of God. Let's compare that with the mindset of today's people of God just here at Oklahoma City First Church And let's confess that difference because here's what's going on here. These people under Paul's leadership were deeply and thoroughly convinced that because of the resurrection, God is now in charge of all of creation and all things were coming to the right kind of conclusion. They were deeply convinced of this. Are we? See, they would get up every morning so deeply convinced that God in Christ had done something amazing, earth-shattering, universe-shaping in the resurrection that they started every thought with, God, thank you. (laughs) You've won. 
We like this too here, right? You have won, you are winning, and you will ultimately win. And when that's your basis, your default mindset, this makes more sense. If that is the deepest truth of your, if that is the foundational truth of your life, then it makes more sense that regardless of what would come my way, I can continue to rejoice, I can pray without ceasing, and I can give thanks in all circumstances. Because even when those other things come my way and life gets insanely difficult, I know that all of that happens against the backdrop of God's goodness and graciousness and a victory that cannot be undone. So we're not painting a smiley face on an ugly situation. We were smiling before the ugly situation. And the ugly situation does not take that smile away It just demonstrates how good it is to be companions with God and the people of God. Karl Rahner says it like this. This is a German theologian. Everyday life must become itself our prayer. Let me tell you, um, here's a quick way to take your temperature and tell whether or not you are sick where your Christianity is concerned. If somehow in your mind and heart, worship happens here, you have a problem. Wait a minute. It says on our worship folder that worship happens at 1030 right here, John. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) Yeah, we come to worship here, but I do not mean to insinuate that you aren't or shouldn't be worshiping everywhere else. And we come here, yes, to celebrate what God is doing in our lives, what God is doing in all of life, but we also come here to rehearse one another in the dance steps of being the people of God, that particular kind of peculiar kind of dance. Your entire life must be worship, or this worship is kind of a sham. Can I tell you something? This is not meant to be a filling station so much. (laughs) I'm glad if you leave here full, I am, I'm glad. But God is available to us outside of this room and outside of this time. And you've heard this before, we said this in week one of Advent. You have already, because of the gift of God, you have everything you need to live the life of worship that continues to rescue humanity and all of creation. You have what you need. You have the companionship of the Spirit. You have everything you need to live successfully the kingdom of God. If it's only happening here, there's an illness that we'd like to help you with. It's super important If we're going to pull off and actually live into this calling, then you cannot be business people who are Christian on Sunday. You cannot be doctors and attorneys and teachers. You cannot be homemakers. You cannot be students who then go to church on Sunday. In other words, you can't be something else first and then be Christian and expect that you somehow will fulfill the high calling of God. It just can't work that way. 
but I want you to go and be an attorney, a roofer, a physical therapist, a nurse, a doctor, a basketball coach, and a really good one. I want you to go do all those things, first and foremost, as Christians, because you know what? You'll coach differently. You'll doctor differently. You'll practice law differently. You'll do business differently. Oh, we watched a really hard clip in our Revelation class a couple of weeks ago. William Wilberforce was an abolitionist in Great Britain. And he finally stood up and he said, how can a nation proclaiming Christianity still practice the slave trade? How can a nation proclaiming to be Christian still practice the slave trade? One of the opponents, still claiming to be Christian, said this, our economy would collapse. And then how would we fill the coffers of the king? See, here's the thing. (laughs) Wilberforce was not advocating that we should no longer be people of business. Wilberforce was saying there's a better, more dignifying way of going about our business, and we can go about our business in ways that don't directly and immediately contradict what it means to be Christian. Listen to this. There still need to be a lot of people in the business world who insist that there's a Christian way of doing business. Can I get an amen? Amen. There need to be doctors and attorneys and teachers who understand that you can do these things one of two ways, and one of those ways is as a Christian. I have this gripe every once in a while, I get myself in trouble, when Christian education isn't uniquely Christian. I love my alma mater, I love my school. And so I've been able to say, and thankfully I've heard said back to me too, that we're not a Christian university at SNU just because we have chapel. It's because we define business differently. It's because we define medicine differently. It's because we define psychotherapy, psychotherapy differently. And if we're, not, if we're not doing it differently, we're not Christian. Is that it, just two? If we're not uniquely Christian at work, we're not uniquely Christian. If we're not uniquely Christian at home, I know, I'm stepping on toes now. We're not uniquely Christian. I, listen, I know it's hard. It's hard to be Christian at work. Sometimes it's hard to be Christian at home. Hear this. You've heard it again. You've heard it before. You have everything you need. You have everything that you need. That doesn't mean that you're going to take advantage of it because many of you will not. But you have everything that you need if you'll take advantage of it. Because the Spirit is present. Uh, forgive me for repeating myself. I don't like the language second coming. I'd rather talk about, talk about the final coming of Christ because I don't know when God, uh, when, when Christ by Christ's spirit isn't always arriving on the scene to help us. And so do not quench the spirit. The word there. To quench the spirit, there would be a little bit like me licking my fingers and dousing this this flame here because you can do that where the spirit's concerned. You can choose against it. 
Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise the words of prophets. These aren't predictors. These are people who are saying, God wants us to do this, and if we don't, these sorts of things can happen. Remember, prophets aren't just predictors of the future. They are interpreters of the present, and they also help us to understand what God wants from us. Do not despise the words of prophets, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Well, that's an important concept here. Hear this. Here's how we test prophets. Okay? Here's how we test words of prophecy. If what the prophets are telling us, if it doesn't look like, sound like, smell like, taste like Jesus, we don't do it. Now, what I've just said is actually a whole lot harder than what I've intimated to you. And here's why. Because the life of Christ is really hard. Prophets in the church play a very important role. They really do. And again, I'm not talking about the weird predictors of the future. I'm telling you about people who might stand up and say, God is telling us to do this even though it's really difficult. But we will test all of those words against the person of Christ. And everything that fits, we should really listen to. And everything that doesn't, we should really forget. Abstain from every form of evil. I wasn't going to talk about this right now, but let me say this to the addicted in the room. This is possible. I don't know why I feel like I need to drop that in there. I just feel like I need to drop that in there to anyone in the room who's addicted to anything. Kind of seems kind of black and white and matter of fact here, doesn't it? Paul says, abstain from every form of evil. But the addicted in the room will say, yeah. But it's possible. It is possible for you to break that addiction. And here's why. Advance that for me, would you, Jason? May the God of peace sanctify you entirely. <laughs> this is a little bit of a benediction here. You know, when I walk out, with my hands up, I'm, I'm giving you a benediction, and I'm actually going to use this one today. I may use this one for a while. Now, that's going to upset some of you who really like things the way you like things. <laughs> you can't change my scripture song. Wow. Those are some fast-burning Advent candles Christmas. Don't be late, huh? <laughs> wow. So this is a benediction, Okay. And I can say what I've just said to you about addictions. And I can say to you what I've just said to you about praying without ceasing. And I can say to you what I've just said to you about the importance of being a Christian first and then a policeman after that. I can say all of that to you because of this verse. These next two verses are crucial. And I will submit this to you as your pastor. Without these two verses, I can't live up to my own sermons. May the God of peace himself sanctify. What does that word mean? Okay, it means set aside for a specific purpose, to make sacred. I found one of my old Greek books that said this. It means to holyize something. 
May the God of peace, and by the way, the you here is plural. I love that. So it should be this. May the God of peace himself sanctify you all, OKC first, entirely. Listen, to, listen for the extreme lack of moderation in these verses. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've had trouble saying this without a lump in my throat all week. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do this. So I can say what I've said to you about addictions. I can say what I've said to you about vocations. I can say what I've said to you about spiritual formation. Now hear this, this is hard, this is hard. I can say all those things to you, and all of this is, an, is before you and is possible for you, but some of you will reject it, not out loud, just by the way that you live. But for those of you who will show up You have this promise. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do this. Because I know that for some of you, what you've heard today caused you to sit harder in your pew. I've been addicted for years, you were saying. I don't know another way to go about my job. Some of you sitting where you are are saying, praying all the time, it seems dishonest to me. But what if it's not up to you? What if the power needed to make you into what God dreams for you to be exists not in your own heart, but in the heart of God? Now, it's not cheap. It's not cheap. You do have to receive it and respond to it because it is not cheap. But people, should you make the very dangerous decision to receive and then react and respond to the grace and the gift of God made available to you, God can make you into what God wants you to be, and that will include the loss of your addiction. That will include the remaking of your sense of vocation, and that will include the possibility that the Spirit can be so formed in and through and around you that you will finally get it, that it is possible to pray without ceasing. Because your life will be that prayer. Now here, here's, I, I'm gonna end Joy Sunday with a fairly frightening example. <laughs> but in the first chapter of the book of Luke, Zechariah, who's been chosen to go and offer the incense in the sanctuary, 
goes in and is there met by a messenger from God. The messenger from God says this, I am here as a messenger from God and I'm telling you that through you and Elizabeth, God is going to do something really, really cool. You're gonna have a son. God is doing something. God is on the move and God is starting that process whereby God will in fact win that big victory and accomplish what God wants to accomplish in all of creation. Zachariah says, I don't think so. I'm, I'm too old. So Gabriel says, I just gave you something as a gift, and all you had to do was receive it and respond to it. Because receiving it and responding to it at least demonstrates some level of belief and faith and trust and hope. But since you haven't or since you won't, you no longer have a voice. The church has this gift. Sometimes when I watch the news, I don't know how you interpret what you see, but sometimes when I watch the news, I wonder where the voice of the church has gone. Yes, how many individuals have lost their voice because they don't believe that God is actually up to fulfilling God's promises? But how many churches have lost their voice? I'm not content with the church. <laughs> Being sort of a romantic sort of add-on to the dominant culture. I'm not content with that. I still believe. I still believe that the kingdom is such that business needs the voice of the church. The legal profession needs the voice of the church. The medical profession needs the voice of the church so long as that voice of the church is, in fact, the voice of Christ. But sometimes it's so hard to tell the difference between the church and the dominant culture that it's as if we, too, have lost our voice because we can't bear the thoughts that God might actually change everything in and through God's people. Later on in that same chapter, the baby is born, and they ask Elizabeth because they've stopped asking Zachariah anything because he can't talk. <laughs> they've asked Elizabeth, so what's the baby's name going to be? And she says, baby's name's going to be John. And I said, whoop, wrong answer. There's no Johns in your family, so let's go see if we can get anything out of Zechariah. And they go to Zechariah and they say, now, now what's this baby's name going to be? Probably Zechariah, something like that. And he finally writes out, he writes out more than a name. He writes out, I get it. And sure enough, God is trustworthy, and God is doing something with us. The baby's name is John. And he has a role to play. And then he got his voice back. They ache for us to have a voice. It doesn't have to be my voice. <laughs> it won't be my voice. 
I ache for us to have a voice. But in order to have a voice, we will have to at some level believe that God is telling the truth about us and to us and through us. Or else we will have no voice. Because again, as you've heard me say, Christianity is a lot bigger than just behavior modification. I mean, that's important, and please don't do bad things. But God has in mind that God would use us. If you have a problem with that part, take it up with God. But it seems like God sees fit to use us, God's people, to be an alternative community that can change everything, everything, everything. And not surprisingly, when we don't believe it, we lose our voice. But when we believe it, but when we believe it, if you're helping us to serve communion today, if you will go ahead and come on out and get ready, get set up. Communion is a tangible reminder of what it is that God is doing. It's a tangible, constant reminder of the posture of God, the posture of God that God hopes will also be the posture of the people of God. We are now a church that celebrates communion every week. And I know, I know that there are folks who are concerned that if we do something every week, it will lose its special nature. But I'm gonna take that on as a responsibility. And I will say to you, if not for your faith, then for mine, I need the weekly reminder of the posture of God that is to be the posture of John. I need it. I need to take this communion, and I need to take it with all of you to be reminded that we walk out of here arm in arm to be a unique, odd sort of people, even during these busy, hustling and bustling days. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And as we take this bread that we know to be taken, blessed, broken, and given, may we recognize that the same kind of thing is happening to us, that we are learning how ourselves, that we can be taken, blessed, broken, and given. And God, as we take the cup today, we will recognize that it is the cup that is the foretaste of this great feast that we will all have face to face and eye to eye with you someday. And we drink, we drink in anticipation. And God, we live in anticipation of that incredible feast. So bless these elements, God, and by them strengthen us to be your people. Strengthen us to stand out in the crowd. May this simple little ritual involving simple piece of bread and a touch of juice, may we recognize these as resources that you can use like tools in your hand to break addiction, to change our sense of vocation. Teach us to pray, God. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand.
exit your pew to the left and come forward. Please come forward ready to receive that which cannot be paid for. Receive it as a gift. The person holding the bread will take a piece of that bread, will press it into your hands saying, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Once you get that piece of bread, dip it right then and there into the cup. That person holding the cup will say, the blood of Christ shed for you. After that, we don't have all the altars out today. We have our side healing altars, but after that, I hope you'll find a place to pray. If you want to come and pray at these steps, you certainly be welcome to. You can just as easily go back to your pew and pray. But I hope you'll find a place to pray, to process and to pray that God would somehow find a way to teach you how to be taken, blessed, broken and given it was on the night our Savior was betrayed that he took bread blessed it he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying this is my body broken for you every time you eat of this bread remember me later on he took the cup he held it up before them he said and this is my blood the blood of the new covenant Every time you drink of it, remember me. And now all across the sanctuary, if you'll stand and come and receive these elements, if you can't get down here to us, Jason will come to you. Just make sure that you flag him. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Like us on Facebook at Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene. Or follow us on Twitter at OKC First Church.